Welcome back to What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Ragland, and I'm delighted to be coming back to you another week. This week's guest is known as the omnipreneurial psychologist, a speaker, mentor, guiding the path to commercial success, evolutionary and inclusive leadership, well-being, and positive impact for independents, startups, corporates, and diverse global audiences. It's Hema Vyas. Hema, welcome, and what's your bliss? Hi, Thomas. Thank you. Um, lovely to be here today. So my bliss, I would say, is definitely understanding um, that everything in life has a purpose and everything has a reason and there's always a bigger picture. And the more expansive we become in our awareness, our consciousness and our ability to really process information, we realize that facts aren't necessarily the facts. And the more expansive you become, the more light-hearted, the more peaceful you eventually Tell me how that started for you. How did how did that kind of life mantra, that purpose, um, and finding you know that understanding that everything has that purpose? How did that come to be? Is that something that you've always thought, or is that something that you found later? I think it's always been that. So I think it's curiosity. You know, I think we need a, a sort of passionate curiosity to really, really want to understand something for us to be able to really delve into it, whatever it is, whatever the subject. And I think for me, it was humanity, you know, growing up as a very privileged um, Indian girl in India, you know, we came from quite a privileged background. And, and of course, I saw all around me a lot of poverty that I don't feel really touched me in that way. I just was really curious as to why there was this diversity, this discrepancy, you know, this gap in the world. And then, of course, living and being brought up in England and then really see sort of, you know, the discrepancy between, you know, what poverty looked like in this country and what it looked like in other countries, like where I was born, which is Africa, India, where I lived for a very short time. And so I think that really, really fueled this passion in me to really want to understand what is the meaning of life? Why is it that one person can have what seems like so much and yet another cannot? And then I sort of you know, grew from that and studied psychology. So it's been a bit of a journey to really, really get to my point of bliss. Um, but that was a beginning point for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned in kind of the opening there that you had to unlearn basically that facts are not indeed facts. Um, do you have some examples of what, what, what are some of those quote unquote facts that you had to unlearn? Uh, yes, yeah, so I think that was one of the first things that, you know, what seemed like people who had sort of seeming privilege were happier or better off. And then when I really, really dug deep and I sort of realised that there was such a deep happiness when I travelled, you know, around these other countries and you see the people and they're just happy, they're joyful, they're doing what they love, they're living. And, you know, I think that's one of the facts of life that we think that, you know, more money, more privilege, more kind of luxuries more amenities means that we're happier and I realize that we're far from that and that's a fact that you know 
was is really part of my life mission to really help understand what it really really means to be happy and why is it that we can have so much of so many things and yet be unhappy and others can have so little and be so happy and everything in between because those are two extremes but there's everything in between you know those who are happy and have a lot and those who don't have a lot are not incredibly unhappy so what is that mindset and what is that heart set and what is really going going on inside of us that creates the difference between you know really being happy with what we are really not and I learned that one of the things was that it's not about the external world our happiness our joy our sense of you know real bliss that sense of really living does not come from the external world because those are the things we look at as facts but the real joy comes from having an inner world that spiritual world meditation the yoga the really really healing the deep stuff you know that we're holding on to that blocks us and keeps us stuck in old negative patterns or repetitive patterns that eventually become old and negative even if they weren't to begin with you know it's like energy once it gets stuck it becomes toxic and so you know that's really the thing that drives me now to really help people understand you know, what is the nature of real happiness and how do we find it how do we connect to what you call the, that bliss factor you know and how do we sustain it more importantly yeah that sustainability is crucial because you know one of the things that i've uh, talked about and certainly learned doing this podcast is that not all bliss is sustainable and some of it is um and there's a variety of reasons for that i think that there's there's ways that we can do that there's ways that we can sustain it but i think that there's life gets in the way sometimes right and and we have to kind of make a choice whether that we want to kind of continue living one path or or you know, addressing an, another issue that may come up. But I'm curious from your perspective, how do we align that? How do we align kind of the heart and the mind to be seeking that happiness and to, and not just to be seeking it, but to be satisfied once we find it? I think alignment comes from truth. And so I think the search is really the search for the truth in any situation because life is evolving. There's no one truth. So, for example, today, you know, receiving a lot of money might make me incredibly happy. Tomorrow it may not because it's not about the money. It's about what it means to me and this meaning and the significance that I give it. And so I think when we really search for the truth, any time there is um, unhappiness, because there is going to be, you know, life is made up of paradoxes. And that's why bliss is ultimately not sustainable and yet sustainable from the point of view that it's how we approach life rather than how we respond to life or react to life because things are always going to happen. And, and when, when we look for the truth, then that is when we know when it clicks into place because that alignment happens when we're really looking intuitively, when we're looking instinctively and we're looking emotionally, you know, for that truth. Then when the three things line up, there's an expansion in the heart and that feeling is what allows us to recognize that we, we are in a good space. And in that moment, 
whatever it is that's happening within us and around us is in a state of balance that creates that alignment and that creates that sense of bliss from my perspective. And so I think the, the balance in life is to keep coming back to the truth and life throws you off it. You know, things happen in our lives. One minute we might be in a really good space and then suddenly the world changes or our world changes. And so knowing that we can come back to it by coming back to finding what that truth is. And the truth is an inner journey. It's not about what anybody else thinks. It's not about what anybody else feels or believes. It's about what you ultimately feel in your heart, in your mind, in your body. Because that feeling, when it comes into balance, creates a resonance that creates that sense of bliss. And that's how we connect to it. Absolutely. You said in there that sometimes the world around us changes. And last year, obviously, the world changed. And I'm curious how that um, impacted you directly and certainly in, in, in your work and in your life. Um, but if that impacted the way you have kind of seen all of this, seen hope and seen trust and seen love and seen bliss. Uh, yeah, what, what did all of that do last year, uh, kind of going through that as a really as a global society? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think one of the biggest things, and, you know, this may not sit well with everybody, but I'm going to be really honest, you know, from my perspective, I think that there are too many untruths. That's not to say they're necessarily lies, you know, because untruth is basically any time when we close off to any other possibility you know that is so restrictive and that has been one of the most negative impacts of what's happened this last year this idea that this extremism you know that one side is right or the other side is right and there's literally no meeting ground and i think that is a big untruth because you know truth sits somewhere transcendent of those two extremes and the truth is that you know yes as a global kind of community we've needed to come together and I think it's beautiful that we have been caught up in a, a sort of a global thing and I think it's about finding how we manage that and really engaging people from all parts of society not just you know the politicians, not just the so-called scientists and doctors. And I say so-called because, you know, there are lots of, there's a lot of opposition with scientists and doctors, you know. And so really it's, a, you know, why is it that one person's voice is more important than another when we all bring people together and really, really, you know, find, you know, what is true in and amongst what has happened, then I think that we're able to transcend what's going on. And we're not going to come out of this until we get to the truth, because for as long as there is untruth in the world, there is imbalance. And for as long as there is imbalance, we are going to be unhappy. And if we're unhappy, we're going to seek happiness. And so in seeking happiness, we're going to look for answers. And I'm really hoping, so my hope for the world is that it wakes people up, you know, to what I said right at the beginning, that the facts are not the facts. You know, the science is not the science, because at the end of the day, science is evolutionary. You know, science is evolving, it's growing. We don't know everything, you know, we're 
It's only when you can have the courage to hypothesize something new will you find new answers. And so I'm really hoping it wakes people up to realizing that we cannot just believe what we're told and we cannot just have one-sided view of the world. There is so much more to the world. There is so much more to everything that's happening. There's always a bigger picture. And when you get to the bigger picture, there's an even bigger picture because the universe is always expanding. And so I think that's been a bit of a challenge, really, really, you know, managing people who have very strong, definite views and going, okay, but surely there's something more that is happening and there's something more that needs to happen and how can we come together rather than being divided by it. You know, one of the biggest sort of negative impact is, you know, the division that it's created. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that takes away our bliss because I think as human beings, we're tribal, we're community and we're one heart. And, you know, when our hearts are separated and segregated and isolated, it creates, you know, a, a wave of unhappiness and lots right. of things that go with that. And we need to come back to that joy and by finding community and finding connection again. So that's what I'm hoping that we wake up and really come together globally and find solutions. Yeah, that goes back to what we were talking about, about dark energy too. And I, I'm really kind of connecting and resonating with this idea of when we when we have some sort of cloud over the truth and the truth gets to be the universal truth, right? It doesn't there, like you said, there is a, there, that's the definition and there are untruths and there are, you know, pieces that take away from that, but truth is the truth and trying to find that can sometimes be really obscured. And, and I, I think that goes back to kind of the, the pieces around transparency and, and how do you even do that in a society where it feels like it's designed to not have transparency. And I'm wondering from that perspective, is there a way that we can start building more transparency with each other, with leadership? And, and I think, um, so that's, that's a piece I want to hit on, but I think it also goes back, what it sounds like to me is it goes back again to your upbringing and to kind of seeing and wanting to have the, the understanding of the experiences of everyone, because everyone is a piece of this. So how do we build that transparency and how do we ensure that those voices are being heard from everybody? Um, I, I think the first thing is to agree that, you know, we, and I'm not sure there is an agreement, that we agree that at the end of the day, everyone's voice is valid. And right. to agree that, you know, each modality in the world, you know, has a purpose. And so whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a scientist, a psychologist, a spiritual healer, whatever whatever it is that you're doing in the world, you know, that what you feel your version of what's happening in the world, your version and your experience of the world, you know, creates the whole world and that we are greater than the sum of all our parts. And so that agreement needs to be reached. In terms of leadership, I think it's ultimately about raising our consciousness. You know, 
you can't be transparent if you are hiding or in denial or carrying a lot of shame and a lot of guilt in yourself. And so only when you're willing to do the deep psychological work, you know, psychology isn't for those people who have mental health problems. It is actually the only way to really, really evolve, you know, to really gain that understanding of our own psychology and the psychology of the people we lead in whatever way, whether it's leading a family, whether it's leading, you know, a group of school kids, whether it's leading an organization, teams, whatever it is. And so when we're leading like a global situation, like we are at the moment, it comes from people really having self-awareness, having emotional intelligence having spiritual intelligence as well as intellectual intelligence and only then will you be able to only when you're emotionally evolved will you be able to say i have my point of view you have your point of view this is my point of view what's yours i want to hear it i might not accept it i might not you know be able to go along with it but at least we can have honest conversation and communication and because we're not really evolved in that way you know a lot of people aren't evolved enough to want to hear the other side of the story or evolved enough to give another person a perspective and accept that it's valid even if they don't necessarily see it that way or agree with it that way um Unless we get to that point, then I think leadership is going to struggle because, you know, at the end of the day, you cannot lead simply by having a title or a status. You lead because of example. You lead because you have the ability to hold space and to hold the vision for a number of other people. That's what it takes to be a leader. And, you know, of course, you know, um, the more evolved you are, the more you're able to hold space for people to feel safe to be able to come, come to you or to speak about whatever they might be thinking that might be different from your point of view. And transparency comes when we're able to really come from that space because otherwise if I'm holding back, you're going to hold back. And so everyone around you is going to hold back and that creates secrecy and that creates a feeling of untruth being held and that creates a ripple effect where, you know, there isn't the trust and if there isn't the trust then immediately becomes each man for himself or each woman for herself each person for themselves and if we want to really really come together on all of this and i think it's about really healing our own hearts that is the greatest gift of humanity really becoming emotionally aware really becoming spiritually aware and in so doing we begin to expand you know, how much space we hold for ourselves and how much space we hold for others, we begin to expand our consciousness to be able to say there is space for you to have and it's safe for you to share. And only then can we begin to solve these big problems by coming together, really genuinely coming together in a space of psychological safety. And I think leaders lead the way. And so therefore it begins with them. Yeah. And I, I, I really like what you said about, you know, psychology being the only way that we evolve. And that is, I think, um, as someone who's also studied psychology, like I, I can, I can see that. Right. And I, and I think that it's, it's, it's so 
wise. And I'm curious, you know, it, it sounds like, I guess I'm curious what comes first, the chicken or the egg, so to speak, what comes first? Does the evolution come first or does the transparency? And, I, and I'm wondering if, if they go hand in hand or if there's a way to kind of tap into that evolution prior to the transparency or vice versa. So I would say evolution comes first and then transparency because, you know, my main sort of area of study is the heart, is really understanding the heart energy from a psychological, spiritual perspective. And I think that only when we have the courage to really, really be transparent in our own hearts to really dig deep and, and bring out the shadow aspects of ourselves, to bring out the parts of ourselves we don't like or we don't appreciate, the parts of ourselves we struggle with and bring it to light and create transparency in our own energy field, only then can we go out and create transparency. And so that's why one of the you know, most important things that a leader or anybody who wants to lead in any area of their lives can do is to really work on themselves, to really develop, you know, that strong core sense of self, that strong sense of identity. Because when you're really strong in yourself, then you can handle, you know, people coming at you with different points of views. You can handle people criticizing you and still be able to stand your ground if you are rooted in truth, you know. And so I think really we need psychological wellness in order to be able to manage these situations and to create that sense of transparency so so that's you know that and that in in turn impacts the world we live in because if i have the courage and i can say i've done the work i've dug deep i've looked at you know all my shadow self and you know worked on all these things and i've come out stronger and better for it then it gives you the courage and confidence to do the same thing because you're going to then go oh so it's not a sort of black hole that i'm going to go down and never emerge from i'm going to come out stronger and be a great leader as well you know the way that you are and so that gives other people permission to do the same thing. In, in the past, if you think about psychology, it's been sort of stigmatised, you know, that, you know, it's for mm. people who've got problems. And it's like, no, it's, it's for people who want to grow. It's for people who really want to know themselves and really get to that place of authenticity and that strength and trust in their own authenticity. And so I think that's, that's absolutely vital for a better world. I think you're 100% spot on. And, um, you know, it reminds me of what you were saying earlier about, uh, well, there's two pieces, the, the emotional intelligence, certainly. And I think that, I think it's almost, not to say that it's completely impossible, but I, I think it's really very difficult to achieve that emotional intelligence without some understanding of psychology, without some understanding of how to do that work. And, and honestly, to have a, having a guide do that, whether that is a therapist or, you know, a coach or whatever. I think it's really hard to, to know every piece of what needs to be worked on to achieve that emotional intelligence. And it also goes back to what you were saying earlier about essentially how to be um, you didn't say it exactly like this, but how to be proactive versus being reactive in in situations, and how do we proactively again work on ourselves? How do we how do we build that transparency, build that trust in ourselves, which I think is probably the hardest thing to do, um, because of you you mentioned the shame and and the guilt that gets associated with a lot of things that we do. And so to try to build that trust is is again almost impossible to do by yourself, even though that sounds a little odd. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Well, I think it comes down to blind spots, right, Thomas, because we all have blind spots. And because things are so deeply embedded, you know, things that we've picked up, like we're sponges as children. We literally pick up everything, you know, how to speak and how to walk and how to think and how to live in the world and how to navigate the world. And so these are all deeply embedded things. And so there's so much that's sort of held deeply inside of us that we don't even realize that it's not our true nature. You know, these are all things we've learned or we've picked up or we've, you know, inherited from our families and our ancestors. And so we don't recognize that that's why we need help. And it's not that we need help because we're helpless. We need help because we need a mirror. We need a different kind of mirror, you know, as opposed to the mirror of the world we've grown up in. If we want to grow and evolve, then we need the mirror of somebody who's able to hold that space and to be able to hold up a mirror and say, well, these are your blind spots. This is what you don't see. Because, again, I'm sure you've had this, you know, not just being a psychologist, but, you know, so many people will be like, oh, I know exactly what's going on with her or him and they're this and they're doing this. And and then you stop and you go, yes, but you, you do exactly the same thing. We don't see it. We don't see our own blind spots. And that's for everybody, you know. And that's why I love the work that I do is really mentoring those people who are also mentors who think they've got life pretty sussed. And it's like, yes, you have, but we all have our blind spots and we all need support along the way in order to keep on evolving because, you know, being human is a lifelong journey and beyond. Absolutely. Uh, I, I really love the, the concept of the mirror and, and, and the vernacular around blind spots, because I think it, it even reminds me a little bit of the first time you see yourself in a mirror that, uh, that shows you kind of your true self, right? Uh, so it's, it's not a, a, a backwards reflection. It literally shows you what you look like to other people. And I think the first time you see that, you go, wait, wait a minute, that's, that's not me, <laughs> right? Because, because the only way you've ever seen yourself is in the mirror, right? Is in your mirror, right? And, and, and so from a, from a spiritual perspective, the only way you've ever seen yourself is from your own mirror. And again, it goes back to how do we find that universal truth? And the more that we can essentially, to keep the metaphor going, to, to sit basically in a, in a fun house of mirrors that kind of all show different sides of us, that's the only way that we're ever going to find that truth, because that's the only way to eliminate those blind spots. Um, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'm curious just... From a, 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 not even a, a leadership necessarily, but but I think a leadership perspective. But the the idea around how do we in our in our culture and in our country we are expected to perform. I think that we are very much a performance based country. And how do you perform? If you are in the process of doing the work, you haven't, you, you, it's not that you haven't decided to do the work and it's not that you've done the work already, but when you're in that process of still trying to do that, how do you, how do you continually perform with the expectations that you're given and also say, I know that there's more work to be done? Oh, I love that question. That's literally never been asked before. So that's really cool. Thank you. So I, I, I would say, you know, like when I work with people, what I say is that, you know, everything in life is a mirror. 
everything because your heart literally acts as a mirror to bring to light that which is not true but also magnetize what you feel is true in your heart and so when you're you know, at work and you need to perform, I would say that it's recognizing that every moment at work is really giving you an indication of how you're doing. And hopefully, you know, while you're doing the work, lots of things will come up. You don't want life to be smooth and beautiful as much as you want it to be smooth and beautiful. At the end of the day, the more challenges you are faced with while you're doing the work, the better, because it's those challenges that give you that opportunity to grow and evolve past conditioning. Because it's the conditioning that keeps you stuck in this is how the world should be. And then there's a challenge and an obstacle and something that sort of makes you question who you are, how you're doing, what you're doing. And that's when you have an opportunity to really, really connect to the work that you're doing because it becomes practical then. You know, the work is something that, you know, if you understand it theoretically, it's good. But when you really understand it experientially, then I think it's excellent. It's brilliant because that is when you never forget that lesson because you've experienced it as, as a real life thing where you had the courage to confront something or had the courage to change your thinking, to change your belief system. And the turn, you know, the result, was different where you might have got the same result again and again and again simply by shifting your perspective doing that inner work really getting that inner confidence and finding that trust within yourself and you shift that perspective and the outcome changes and I definitely know for a fact that people excel in so many ways um when they're doing the work that may not always be visible at the time so I'll give you example in terms of leadership but I had a lovely girl just very very conscientiously systematically working on herself and you know we didn't and because it was a personal journey we didn't always relate it to what else was going on at work and then serendipitously you know she ended up working for a manager that she used to work for years ago who she loved and pedestalized she thought this manager was so amazing and she thought wow you know this is a good leader this is someone who's really excellent do and so when she went back after a few years she was still her junior so you know the, the manager was sort of her senior and she realized just how much she'd grown because it wasn't how she was growing at work necessarily but her own personal journey right. meant that when she was put aside this person that she thought was amazing she realized all her flaws which was not a bad thing and realized how much she'd grown past that and the only difference in both of them they were both on the same trajectory at work the only difference was that my client was working on herself the manager wasn't and so she'd grown in, in being able to you know manage so much better, better decision making. You know, she was quicker, faster, more confident, more able than the person who was her senior, simply on account of the fact that she had grown and developed in herself. And that's just, you know, a beautiful example, I would say, of, you know, while you're going through the process. You know, you may not necessarily see the signs of growth, but when you stick with it and trust it and trust in the process, you know, 
life will eventually give you that opportunity to see how you've grown and to really, really be, you know, genuinely like grateful for the journey you've been on because I think that's a, that's a big part of it, the attitude of gratitude. Yeah, that's a, that is a beautiful example. And it's, I think you're right. I think there's a, there's a piece of that, especially at the end where you can be just grateful for the journey and you can be grateful that you found that out and that, and it doesn't mean that it takes away the experience that you had previously. Um, That experience gets to still be truth in that time, right? It just doesn't get, it just doesn't have to be the truth now. And I think we see that a lot with with long-term relationships. We see that a lot with, with, you know, just people kind of going through the world of like, Hey, they want this thing or this nostalgia that they're attached to. And when people grow, which is what you want, you want people to grow. Those things don't stay static and we have to kind of embrace the dynamic changes that, that we're able to go through. And I'm curious um, from a, from relationship perspective and personal relationships, how do you, how do you work on that? And, and also, I guess, how do you, how do you bring a a partner or a friend or or whatever? You don't want to lose that connection. So how do you bring them on that journey with you? And a great question. Brilliant question. I really love it. I think that's such a challenge, you know, because I think people have to get to it themselves. It's like the horse. You can lead it to water, but you can't make it drink. And I think it's the same with this. I think, again, I will come back to the example of leadership. You know, my experience has been, you know, all of my work sort of comes through referrals and just, you know, somebody speaking to somebody because they can't always pinpoint what I do. So it's always been, you know, like, you know, and I would say that the ones, you know, who are really successful in bringing partners along, bringing friends, bringing family members, you know, wherever they are in the world, um, are the ones who have changed in such a significant, beautiful way. And so the other person sees that, you know, this is a good thing. And I think how, as an individual, if you're on that journey, I think the way to do it is to not want or need anybody to be on the journey with you, but to lead by example and to really be able to give that, you know, person the empathy, the compassion that they need for where they are when they perhaps haven't quite grown in that way and to be able to show them that there's another way of seeing the world, another way of looking at what's happening, another way of responding and not reacting. And I think that just organically drives people. Because it's like, you know, if I see that you're thriving and, you know, I want to know what the secret is because we all do. We all want to know what is the secret of success? What is the secret of happiness? What is the secret of healthy, loving relationships? We all want to know. And when we see it as an example, I think we follow those footsteps and we want to know what, what they're doing. And so I think the best way is to, to really, really grow yourself and to hold up a mirror to others as to what is possible. And then I think they organically want to going to want to join you. But I also say that we all have our individual path. And, you know, I think it's important not to hold on to unhealthy attachments and if it's a family member for example then to lovingly accept them where they are you know 
but continue our growth, continue our journey, because we'll always love them. Um, but it doesn't mean we have to be attached to them. So we may outgrow certain people. And, and I think that that's part of life. And I think that you know, we owe it to ourselves to continue on our path in that world. I love the idea of, of just continuing that growth. And, and if they, if they don't come with you, it's, it's, it's finding ways to, to let that go or to, or to, like you said, to accept it for what it is. And that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm learning uh, later in life than I wanted to Right, this idea that, you know, there's, there are people who will stay in that same place and that's, and, and you have to decide for you, the, the emotional energy that you want to expend around is this, is this worth it? Or do I just need to kind of accept that this is where this is? And especially where I'm at now, or is this something that's going to be so detrimental that I do need to cut this person off? And I think that that's, that's really hard, obviously, um, especially again, if there's that emotion and that nostalgia attached to, well, I know what this could be, right? If we were on the same level, um, which isn't always necessarily a good thing, right? If you, if either of you've done the growth and you're on the same level, that's a little different than if you've actually done the work. Um, but but I, I but I really do love the the concept behind that, and and what it reminds me of in my work is um, the concept of motivational interviewing and this idea that you can get someone you can't get someone who doesn't want to think about growth or change to immediate action on that change, right? But what you might be able to do is get them to think about the change. Um, so if you can just get them to think about it, um, then then you can start kind of moving the clock, right? Um, but but it's really hard to kind of take them from, like if you, if you don't recognize that someone is not ready at all to have that conversation, then there's no way that they're going to immediately change. So you have to just, and I think we're such, we're also such an instantaneous society that we want to be like, well, I changed, why can't you? And um, yeah, I'm curious if you've, if you've seen a lot of that in your work, like, hey, I'm I, I've, I've done the work. Why can't someone else who's in my similar situation, why can't my brother who grew up the exact same way as me just, just figure this out? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, because, you know, what we missed is that sense of there was something in our lives that propelled us into that action. You know, there's always some, some driving force that makes us go, I want to change, I want to grow, I want to heal, I want to understand, whatever it might be, that motivation. And, you know, they might not be there because we're all made up, you know, differently in terms of our personalities and drivers. And, of course, you're right, we live in a world of immediate gratification and we just immediately, you know, and when we see something, we can't understand why somebody else can't see the same thing. But, of course, they're looking through different lenses. They're looking through different filters. And so we do need to ignore and appreciate but I can understand that it's, it's not easy on either side. I think it's hard for those who are living or are around people who have grown and, you know, and, and they keep pushing for them to grow. And it's like, you know, I'm perfectly fine where I am. And it's equally hard for those who have grown to not, you know, look at those people and think, well, your life could be different, your life could be better, you know, you could have so much more joy, so much more blessing. So, you know, and, and I think this is a beautiful paradox of being human. 
I, I, I totally agree with you. And that's something that, um, my, my, my grandmother recently told me that she liked me better when I was a teenager and the, but the, but the, the, the concept behind that is that I had not done the growth that I needed to do and that I was in a place that made me, you know, a different person and whether that was, you know, she always tells me I'm not fun anymore. Um, <laughs> and I think that there's just a different concept around what that looks like to me now. And because I feel like I've done that growth and I've, um, and it doesn't mean that I, um, you know, try not to, or try, or try not to, 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 you know, still do some of those things, but it's, but it means that I recognize time, place, uh, opportunity, audience, um, to just be, authentic. And I think that that's, um, I, I don't know that I was living authentically prior to even five years ago, you know what I mean? And so the idea of, um, I, I laugh about it, but it, it is this like real, like you, you want what's comfortable and to do the work is uncomfortable. And, and so, because it, it really forces you into that introspection and into those mirrors that you're like, I don't, I don't want to see those blind spots. I, I like being where I'm at because, because life is, it, whether it's easier or it's just, there's less confrontation, um, or, or really growth is painful, right? They, t- they talk about the physical growing pains that people experience, but, but emotionally and spiritually growing is hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say the word is, you know, familiar. Mm. You know, because of course, you know, like I say, that conditioning comes from what we've learned, seen, experienced growing up right. and what we've inherited, you know, from our families and ancestors. So I can understand why your grandmother would want you to be familiar, right. you know, doing what is familiar to the family and fitting in to the family. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons people resist growth mm. because, you know, there is a moment where you outgrow family family values and dynamics because they no longer serve you, but they probably never did. You know, what I say is that, you know, if you grew out of that, then chances are that was never who you were. It was just what you learned. And, you know, you learn to sort of fit in and you learn to please them and you learn to kind of make yourself acceptable. But ultimately, you're not living your life in a way that's acceptable to you. you know, right. Because we never grow in such a way that is inauthentic. We always grow in a way that is truly authentic to who we really are in our essence. I think that's absolutely beautiful. I love that. I love that idea of growth is never inauthentic. Um, that's something I've, I've never heard someone phrase it that way before, but I think it's so pure and so true. Um, and I wrote down like familiarity can be almost the antithesis of growth and how do you, how do you battle that? And also again, maintain those relationships. And I think you've given the, the listeners a lot of ways to do that and a lot of ways to hold the mirror up um, for others and also continue to build and, and uphold yourself. Well, that was a quick uh, uh, episode that we got through there. Uh, that time really just flew by for me. Um, I, you know, just last couple of questions here is, is really how, if we had to boil it down, you've given our listeners a lot of great advice, but if you had to boil it down to how does someone find bliss through understanding and connecting with everything that has a purpose, what, what advice would you give? Um, very, very simple, Thomas, meditate. And 
just very, very quickly, because I know we've come to the end, but, you know, meditation is not just about silencing the thoughts. And if you're somebody who struggles with silencing the thoughts, then find another way. And, you know, one of the things that I sort of talk about is the art of fantasy, how to use your thoughts and how to use your imagination to meditate. Because when we meditate, we are organically connecting our mind and our body and our hearts. And that alignment just opens up to the truth. And that's where bliss lives, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. As someone who has recently got into meditation, that is something that is so powerful for me. And like you said, that doesn't mean that you, you have to sit there in a silent room and, and or even close your eyes or eat. Like you can just, there, there's so many ways to do it. There, uh, there are guided meditations now and things like that, but, but just connecting with yourself. And, and, you know, if, if you believe in the concept of a soul, it's connecting with your soul and with your energy. And, and I, I think that's, that is, like you said, that, that is blissful. Um, the last question we always have is just, is there anything you'd like to promote? Uh, well, you know, two things just very quickly. So please do check out the website, himavias.com. But I have a heart renaissance community where we sort of, you know, try and bring people back to the heart energy, the qualities of the heart and love. And there's lots of talks like this one and lots of meditations and lots of, you know, good stuff. It's a free community. We do obviously run different courses and things on that community, but I'd love anybody who's interested to join us. So that's through my website. Absolutely. And we'll make sure all of that gets in the show notes. And Emma, it's been an absolute pleasure for me. And I, I'm just so energized and excited by our conversation and just gives me and I think all the listeners a, a lot to think about and a lot to lot to process and, and a lot of ways for us to do some of that growth today. So thank you so much for joining. Um, it's It's been an absolute pleasure. And for me, thank you so much for having me. The time went super quick. Thank you. Really enjoyed <laughs> the conversation. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. You can find What's Your Bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at YourBlissPod and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me, or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at yourblisspodcast at gmail.com. Please check out anythingbutcredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts, including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course, the Anything But Credible podcast. Podcast.